0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek episode 487, for Sunday, February 9th, 1964. Close your eyes and I'll kiss you. Tomorrow I'll miss you. <laughs> And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geekab, the show where you send in questions, tips, answers, cool stuff found. We share answers. We share tips. We share cool stuff found. All together here, we try to learn a little bit of something new each and every time about the Mac. This show is sponsored in part by Gazelle at Gazelle.com, where you can sell all your old Apple stuff. And Linda. At Lynda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G, where you can get a seven-day free trial on their uh, excellently produced training videos for anything from Mac stuff to business stuff, all that. Uh, Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in fearful Connecticut, John F. Brown. And of course, John, it's not 1964 today. It's 50 years past Sunday, February 9th, 1964, here in 2014. But that was a... uh, a special day for rock and roll, and a special day for uh, well, for a lot of things when the Beatles came to uh, well when they performed on the uh, Ed Sullivan show that night. Right? I wasn't alive then, but uh, but it still impacted my life greatly. I don't know, right? Hello, I like them. Yeah, that is true. All right, let's um, let's get into this. Uh, now I gotta, see, now I had all that weird stuff queued up for the intro and I gotta, I gotta get where I need to be. Harold says, Dave, John, and sometimes pilot Pete, a few episodes back, Dave talked a little bit about surge protection. I recently lost two Apple TVs, an HDTV and a Sonos bridge. I also lost the cable modem. All of these were plugged into Belkin surge protectors, but they were still knocked out. I also have a whole house surge protector. I'm sure that this time it came through the cable. Any suggestions on how you have your setup and what kind of protection would be best for the money? I don't really need battery backup, just the lightning protection. Okay, well, you might need battery backup. Uh, I, I think, uh, but but we'll get there. You definitely need surge protection from the cable, uh, John. As as you and I have discussed before, and and as I, as I have found from personal experience time and time again uh, DC sources are far more likely to um, or or sorry uh, DC devices are far more likely to be impacted by a power surge than AC devices that means your power supplies uh, in your computer are less likely to get fried than say your ethernet port or your um well, I mean your modem port or uh, on your cable modem, your, your coax port, all that DC stuff tends to go to ground uh, a lot faster than, uh, than the AC stuff. And that's where things get fried. And of course, to these days, it's not that we have an ethernet card in our computers. The ethernet is baked into the motherboard. So when the ethernet fries, guess what? The motherboard fries um, for standalone protection. Uh, I have found APCs protect net adapters uh, to work really, really well. These sit in line and you can get a ProtectNet net adapter um, for your Ethernet that that your Ethernet just passes through and you just kind of screw it into ground somewhere in your home and it will protect you. I, I can speak to this personally. APC also used to make a coaxial uh, protect net adapter, and I have several of them and have had them save me. But uh, but they don't that seems to be um, that that seems to have been discontinued, unfortunately, the uh, the coax ones. But I there are some I found one at uh, at Amazon that uh, that works quite well, uh, or at least seems to based on the the um, the reviews there. So we'll put that in uh, in the show notes for you. But. Um, my my advice is. However, you're going to do it, protect the coax coming into your cable modem and the Ethernet coming out of your cable modem. This way you are doubly protected. Uh, if somehow this coax adapter that we're finding on Amazon doesn't work well, you're protected on the other side between your um, cable modem and the router. And then from there, you, you should be fine. Uh, so that that's. That's my advice. Now, you can find coax protection in a lot of surge protectors. They have it built in. They also have Ethernet protection often built in. If you're going to use Ethernet protection, make sure that you know whether you're getting gigabit protection or just 100 megabit protection because you'd hate to have something slow down your network unintentionally. You, it may be that you're running it at a spot coming out of your cable modem unless you're running 100 megabit per second or faster connection. It's OK to have 100 megabit thing there, but, but, uh, but gigabit, uh, you know, it will filter it down. So check that out too. But that said, um, I have found that battery backup is almost always a necessary part of the mix. Now, John, you don't run any battery backup there, right? So, Correct. Okay. Um, I, you know, having lived in, uh, there have been times, uh, everywhere that I lived where, a battery backup unit, I am convinced, has saved hardware for me. And and here's where it, um, you know, battery backup is often sold as, well, when your power goes out, you get to finish what you're working on and you get to shut your computer down safely. And that's true. But where it really saves me and has saved me Is when we have what's called brownouts, not where the power goes out for days, but where the power goes out for, you know, seconds or milliseconds where it dips or even dips low. Um, The battery backup truly acts as a power conditioner, not just um, shutting you off from the incoming power when a surge comes in, but shutting you off from the incoming power when a dip comes in and really providing that constant flow Of uh, of power it's and you can get them pretty cheaply like 50 bucks and you've got something that can protect your computer and your router. Um, I've got them on all our TVs. I've got them on our Tivo's and all of that stuff and obviously on all of our computers and it really does make a difference uh, because it's those little dips when the power dips and the computer has has to shut off because it just isn't getting enough power and then the power comes surging back even if it only surges back up to the level Uh, that it should be, that's still going to cause you trouble. So I do really highly recommend a battery backup unit. Again, it's not that much more money than a quality surge protector. And it does so much more because all a surge protector can do is attempt to in real time dissipate whatever extra power is coming in. Whereas a battery backup unit can disconnect you from the incoming power feed and still maintain power to your devices, whether that incoming power feed is now running too hot or too, too cold. Uh, so that, that's my feeling on it. And again, it's just not that expensive. So thoughts, John, the one thing that I'll add, Dave, is that there is a
1: uh, product line that I like. Uh, well, one, they gave me one to uh, try out here. Sure. Uh, but two, it does both search suppression, uh, either, just the uh Just the power line, or they also have models that will do uh, phone uh, ethernet uh, coax, things like that, which you already covered here but uh but I like these because um, uh, and they're from bits limited, but I like them because they also offer an additional feature, so of course, the discussion was you know primarily about uh, protecting your devices, but uh, a nice add on that a lot of uh, vendors do in these guys uh, especially is they have what they call, we'll call it a smart power strip. And I like it, for example, in my setup here. So what it'll do is if it detects, uh, it has different plugs. So some are full-time plugs and some are plugs where if it detects that one device is off, like say your computer, which is exactly what this one does here, it'll say, oh, your computer's sleeping? Well, you know, if your computer's sleeping, then, you know, your your monitor and your soundboard, which is how I have mine set up, they really don't need to be on, do they? Sure. They don't. (laughs) So it'll shut them off for you. So so it's nice. uh, And and they have various configurations here. So so I would I would also suggest uh, looking at these or other vendors, uh, from what I understand, offer uh, the smart functionality as well. So you can not only protect yourself, but you can also uh, save a few bucks or not have to go through the the trauma of, you know, switching everything on and off and on and off manually.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So uh, and they also offer you said they offer coax and and Ethernet protection and it's bits limited. Is that is that right?
1: yeah so i I got the link here uh, catalog.bitsltd.us okay. is uh where you can start sweet at their stuff and yeah looking at their list here the, the one i have does not have uh, i think it just has phone line protection but then i look farther down the list there and they have cable satellite wire ethernet um, phone fax line a uh, whole bunch of models here so i like that because you know hey you know saving the uh, you know not running things where you shouldn't is is
0: good. No, that's a great idea. You know, I have one of those things I used to. Maybe I still do have it plugged into this computer up here because I thought when this computer goes to sleep, I've got all this other audio equipment around it. I've got a mixer. I've got two outboard compressors. I have our USB audio interface. I've got the effects unit, you know, and when the computer's asleep, this stuff is all just on. But the one I had, it was not from Bits Limited, uh, but it never wor- It only it wouldn't. Put the, it wouldn't turn this stuff off when my computer went to sleep, and it was supposed to. It had like a USB cable, and it was you know supposed to do that, but it didn't because USB is still powered when a computer's asleep, or at least the signal is still somewhat alive. Uh, and that's so that you can wake up your computer with your mouse or your keyboard. But uh, but yeah, this bits, maybe this bits limited stuff is 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 smarter than that. Yeah, uh, that's I like cool. it because it's well, colorful it also too. Has Yes. Well, to help you
1: plug things in the right jack. But the other thing I like is that they have a, a so the way it knows is it basically looks at the power draw on the computer. And obviously, if the computer is asleep, it's going to be drawing less power. And they actually have a little adjustment because sometimes, you know, just to help help adapt to whatever you have plugged in there, because different different equipment may draw different level. They can't determine oh well if you're only drawing this amount of power then i should shut everything else off right so that's right. nice too and i had to tweak it before it, it, it worked uh properly
0: okay yeah and it, the one i had it I and i i will it i climbed under the desk while you were talking there john the, the benefits of it, having a long headphone cord um it was from a company called trickle star which is still around and if i look at their website it looks like things there have changed dramatically so so maybe their new stuff uh works as well as this bits limited stuff i don't know but uh Sounds like good stuff to test out. So, and you, ha- you have this bits limited stuff, right, John?
1: Yep. And every time I sleep the computer, I watch and, uh, you know, after about 10 seconds, my, uh, soundboard and my monitor, uh, both turn off. Oh, I gotta, exactly I gotta get something. What I want.
0: That, yeah. I want that too. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm glad you, uh, I'm glad we answered this question. So thanks for asking. I, I'm not sure the email came in from Harold and, and, uh, maybe your nickname is Bart. So thanks Bart. Thanks Harold. Uh, for the uh, for the question, all right, let's go to James if I can find James here, John. And James asks: I currently have a cable modem connected to a Skydog router with wireless turned off on the router, uh, and then connected to a 2013 Time Capsule that I use to transmit the wireless signal. I'm using the Time Capsule partly because the range is much better but also so, that I can use, uh, so I can use it to wirelessly backup three Macs on my network. So now I'm purchasing two more SkyDog routers since they now support the range extender mode and turning on wireless on all three. This should solve my coverage issue. Uh, maybe it will, maybe it won't. I'm curious actually to hear James if it will, but we'll, we'll assume for the sake of this question that it will. He says, so with this new configuration, how can I still use the time capsule for backup? Can I turn off the wireless radio? then just connect to the SkyDog router's Ethernet port. Then my Mac would connect to the SkyDog wirelessly and see the time capsule, which is hard connected to the SkyDog. Will that work? And yes, it will, James. Uh, this is, in fact, exactly, well, I don't have SkyDog routers, but, but in terms of my time capsule, this is exactly the configuration I run here. Uh, I have a different router that is in router mode. My time capsule is in bridge mode. For a long time, I used the wireless in my time capsule to help extend the coverage of my house. And then I wound up getting some better routers like like you're doing and decided I didn't need the wireless. So I just turned off the wireless. So now my my time capsule is a a relatively dumb network device. It it uh, it is on the network. I use it for the four Ethernet ports on the back uh, that act as a switch for me. I use it to back up to so it's a, you know, network accessible backup drive for time machine, obviously. And uh, and that's it. Wireless is off. Routing is off. It's in bridge mode. And that's an important thing. And you're you're probably already set up that way, James. But for anybody else doing this, make sure you're in bridge mode so that your time capsule isn't also trying to route your signal and do funky things. And once you're in bridge mode, then. then that should be fine. You can turn your wireless on or off, and it it doesn't impact the device's ability to be seen via a wired connection. And and as you said, you'll wirelessly connect to your other router, and then into uh, the Time Capsule that will be bridged. So that that should work totally fine. See any any issues with that, John?
1: Nope, I'm I'm not set up that way. But uh, yeah, you're right because you don't want the the double
0: double NAT or double DHCP. <laughs> right, right. Yes. Interesting. All right. Uh, you know, John, I, I want to talk about our first sponsor here, which is Gazelle. And if you go to com, gazelle.com, G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com, Gazelle is the place where you can sell off all of your old unused apple devices so let's say you've got you know maybe a first gen ipad or even a third gen ipad that you don't use anymore because you went and got the retina ipad mini like uh like i did and uh and then you just go to gazelle.com you can go there on your ipad you can go there from your iphone or obviously from your mac they've got great mobile interfaces uh and obviously great interface on on their standard website too and you go and you plug in what it, what device you have. You, you haven't even created an account yet. Literally, the first thing you do is tell them what device you have and, and you answer some questions. How, you know, how big is it? What features does it have? And also, what condition is it in? Is it, you know, in pristine condition? Is it in just good condition or is it broken and doesn't work? Is there water damage? You answer a couple of quick questions and then they'll tell you, they'll give you a quote. If you like the quote, you say, yeah, I'll take it. And then at that point, you give them your name and address. They ship you a box. Uh, When you get the box, you put the device in. It's going to have all the packing materials, all the um, uh, the the labels that you need for a free return trip back to uh, Gazelle. They get the thing, evaluate it, make sure you sent them what you said you were going to send them. And then they send you money. Uh, They can send you a check if you want. Uh, They also use PayPal uh, if you want to get your money that way. Or if uh, if you buy a lot of stuff on Amazon you can get an extra 5% by uh, letting them send you an Amazon gift card. And then, for, you know, you get whatever your amount was plus 5%. You can go spend that on Amazon. So uh, check it out. Gazelle.com. G-A-Z-E-L-L-E.com. And uh, it works really well. We And we constantly, it, it amazes me, the feedback that we get from all of you. Um, you know, most of the email we get is about people with problems, right? I can't get my Wi-Fi to work or I can't do this or, you know, will this work? Uh, about gazelle, all we get is just glowing feedback from how well their customer service is to how well their service works and I think that alone is a testament to uh to to what these folks are doing and and how well they 're doing it i've used it myself several times and uh, I know many many of you have and they 'll ask you where you heard about it and you, you can tell them at gekeb uh, in the uh, in the checkout process there we 're in their drop down so that 's it gazelle dot com check it out I think you'll like it as much as I do and uh, makes it easy. And sometimes easy is what we want. John, Julie's question uh, wasn't easy, but you made it easy. And so tell us about uh, tell us about what you did there.
1: Oh, we'll make it even easier. So Julie's question is as follows. Um, She wrote us and said, I've been using iPhoto for years for my photos with no trouble to speak of. It makes life easy. Plug in the phone or camera and boom, photos are sent to iPhoto to deal with it. But lately, for no reason I can discern when I connect my iPhone 5 to my MacBook Pro via USB, same as I've always done, instead of iPhoto opening and asking to import them, image capture is now taking over. I've checked the settings in iPhoto and it's set to open when the camera connects. What am I missing? And Julie is missing nothing. The problem here, Dave, uh, as we've discussed, is her computer is lying to her.
0: Yeah, your computer do that does that sometimes. Yeah.
1: So what I figured was happening. So the thing is, yes, in iPhoto and uh, several, uh, you know, other photo apps, you can say, "Oh, you should be the app that takes over when something that looks like a camera is connected," and that should always work great. Um, and how how does the computer know to do this? Well, the thing is, this is stored in a plist file, buried deep within the bowels of the system, and that's not something you're normally going to be looking at. So, I was able to zero in on the file that uh, that stored this. Um, I'll tell you how I did it, but then we're going to tell you an even better way. So the way I did it, Dave, is, well, you know, I figured it was a plist file somewhere. So I went into my user directory, the library folder, preferences. Then, I fiddled with that that setting I actually changed it so I would tweak you know a plist file and then I started looking for evidence that a plist file had changed now in the preferences folder I didn't see anything with a recent time and date stamp so I'm like oh well, that's weird but then I remember that sometimes for whatever reason and we should figure this out someday within the preferences folder there's a by host folder and that also contains plist files so what happens is once I looked in there, Dave, I saw, you know, a number that had been changed recently. And to me, the most likely candidate, it kind of took me by surprise, but it turns out this was the file, is it's com.apple.imagecapture2.stringofgibberish, or actually hex.plist. And if you open that file, uh, if you're interested, though she didn't have to, but I wanted to look in there. And if you look in that file, Dave, there is an entry called hot plug action path. Oh, really <laughs> sounds sounds like a good candidate Yeah, and actually listed on at least my machine in front of me here is slash application slash iPhoto.app well that sounds like the the place to be yeah. so I said you know what you should do um and and we had to get the order right here so I think what, what I should have instructed you to do is shut everything down shut down all apps sure yep whack that file Maybe do a restart, and I think that's what finally did it here. So so, Uh, so once she shut everything down, whacked that file, did a restart, then went back into iPhoto and set that and told it, yeah, you know, please use iPhoto. That solved the problem. I like it. Yeah. So that's the way to go about it, Dave. But this actually dovetails nicely into another question that we got. And, that you know, digging around, I I just happened to have a, you know, a, a... a feel for where this should have been. But sure. what if you don't have a feel? Well, what if you'd like
0: a better feel for, well, you're right. <laughs> some, sometimes this stuff shows up in, in that by host folder and, and, and I'm with you in, I'm not sure what the criteria is that, you know, decides that, but also with it. Well, I was going to say with third party apps, which is true, but even with some Apple apps, it shows up in the containers folder because it's sandboxed, right? So, I've I've given up. I, I'm. I mean, I'm glad that your gut was. was your gut's better than mine on this stuff because you knew where to look. I have uh, given up on trusting my gut on stuff like this. What I do, uh, John, is I make a change and try to see what file changed. And I use that uh, that tip that we posted years ago, where uh, where you use the Finder's advanced search to uh, to find recently modified files. You go into the finder, you do a search and you set it up and, and, and I will explain this briefly, but we have an entire article written uh, by Jim Tannis. In fact, that uh, at TMO that, that we'll link to that explains the process, but, but uh, and walks you through it with screenshots and everything. But uh, you go in the finder, you, you, you open up a find with uh you know, command F and then you tell it that you are looking for a, um, uh, system files are included and and you do that in the finder by hitting the little drop down and choosing other and uh, and then choose system files and check that box and then you want to use system files are included and I always choose last modified date is today and uh, and then I sort by last opened and then it shows me a a live updating list of all of the files that are being changed on my system. And, uh, and, and then I go and try and make one of these changes. Like, you know, I'll try to change a preference or something and I'll see what file is updated. And then you you can use the finder to, to go in and show you that file. And hopefully it would, you know, have also brought up this image capture thing that that's how I find this stuff, John. But, um, but that's, that's how it, uh, that's how it works. So we will put that link in the show notes. And then you can, I, on all of my Macs, I now have used this, the first time I use this on any of my Macs, I set it all up like I just described and, uh, and then I hit save and I can, you can save this search in the sidebar of your finder in the favorites there. So all I have to do is click on that and Boom. It starts showing me all this data immediately, which is great for troubleshooting. And, and a lot of times answering your questions, John and I wind up doing exactly this where it's like, well, I don't know where that would be, but let's let's find it for you. And that's that's a, in fact, when I first read your uh, reply to Julie, I just naturally assumed that you used this method, John. But uh, but you you your your gut told you where to go, which is awesome.
1: Oh, OK. I see what you did, because actually I. So I would have done and I've done this in the past. There's another way to go about it instead of doing the other thing. Yeah. Actually, you could also say system files are included. And typically, plist files will bubble to the top. You may get other
0: garbage. That's what I did was system files are included. But you have to the first time you do that on your Mac um, system files. There's a list of six things that you can choose in the search criteria, kind last open date, last modified date, created date, name and contents. But then at the bottom of that list is other. And then there's like 50 things you can add to the list, but, and system files is one of them, but it's not added. It's added to your list because you put it there already. But, but for, uh, for default install of Mavericks, it, it would not be there out of the gate. So that's why you have to do the other thing the first time. That's all.
1: Now the, now, the one thing that does annoy me about this, Dave, is that if you if you do save it and you look at the, the file save dialogue. Yeah. It's also lying to you.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: in that it says it's saving it. So when you save it and I think it's actually a smart folder or some sort of smart folder or no, it's right. a saved search. And it it's says, a saved oh, yeah. well, I'm saving this in your home directory in a folder called save searches. Yes. It's like, That's cool. Problem is, if you then look in your home directory, <laughs> um, you're not gonna find a save searches folder. No kidding. Where did it put this? Well, it you gotta dig a little bit. Actually, where it puts it, Dave, is it puts it in your home folder, then in your library folder. And within that will be the saved save searches. searches folder. Okay okay now it just kind of bugged me because i'm like oh you know because i was uh, we had another question i was going to write well this is where the search is if you don't choose to put it in your sidebar how can you find it later right and if you trust what the file save dialogue says you're never going to find it because it's it's not in your home folder it's but it, in your i mean your home it, library
0: folder it's within your home folder it, it, yes. in, it, in a general it it's not incorrect but it's misleading i think is the uh Well, I would
1: have I would have preferred that the file save dialogue would have said home folder library is is
0: where this is being saved. But Apple doesn't because Apple doesn't like to talk about the library folder. In fact, they hide it from you by default.
1: Right. And I think that's that's why that's reflected uh, erroneously, in my humble opinion, in the uh, in the file save dialogue. But good stuff. And yeah, Julie got back to us and said, yay,
0: it works again good. Uh, yeah. It's always nice. You know, when we, we find one of these, um, these solutions, that, you know, when we're testing it on our end, we don't know cause we don't have the problem. So it's always good uh, to, to know. And I, I will put a tip that Michael Johnston did um, back for us in November about how to, in Mavericks show the library folder all the time um, in, uh, in, in your home folder. There's a little checkbox in the finder. It's you just go, um, to the uh, you have to go to your home directory and then go to show view options in the finders view menu. And then you can check a box that says show library folder, but it's, it's a, you have to, you have to be in the right place to do that. So gets interesting. At least that's, that's how I feel about it. I don't know how you feel about it, John. I'm sure you've turned that on.
1: I actually put, what I've done on both my machines, Dave, I actually put the library folder in my sidebar, so I don't have to yeah. fiddle with
0: such things. I I did that, I did that with Mountain Lion be, and Lion before it because they were hidden and there was no way to turn it back to turn it back on. Yeah, I'm with you. All right, where are we now? Um, take us to Mike, John. Oh yeah, take us. to, uh, I don't know where are we going here. Are we doing Tony? I. Uh,
1: we got to percolate on Tony. OK, I, I, that's I, 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 agree. Yeah, I agree. Go to Mike. Yeah, I agree. But Mike has a good general question. So, of course, let me get over to him.
0: <laughs> All right. Oh, You're going to watch that Beatles thing tonight, John. I'm really excited about this. I'm a, you know, I'm a Beatles nut uh, as, as as oh, there's a thing. I think Walking Dead is on tonight. I think I may watch that. No, there's a there's a thing that they I believe they did. I think they've already recorded some or all of it, but they're doing it at the David Letterman Theater, which, of course, is the old Ed Sullivan Theater. Um, and uh, and Ringo and and, Paul and McCartney are going to play together. And, and a lot of other bands uh, are playing Beatles songs. Some they've got some country stars. They've got the Foo Fighters. They've got it's it's um, it'll it'll be Beatle heaven. How can I you know, how can I not watch this? It'll, uh, I'm sure for, for most of you that will have already aired by the time you, you uh, press play on this particular show. But, uh, but it's a pretty special thing. I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it. I know. Yeah. It's not Max stuff, but you know. Well, and you can TV Walking Dead and watch that later. That, which we, which of course we will. We watch that with the kids. The kids really like Walking Dead. Well, the, the zombies. I mean, who doesn't love zombies? The, the makeup, I, you know, I, the story of it, it, you know, the whole post apocalyptic, it feels like, okay, it's been done over and over again. But, um, but the makeup on those zombies is really amazing, uh, really amazing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it's for younger. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, they know it's
0: fake gore. All right. My kids are twelve and fourteen, dude. They've yeah, uh, okay. They yeah, get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, that we. There are few things that are off limits uh, in terms of discussion topics, and and honestly, uh, I don't know how we're getting here, but uh, it's the kids that make things off limits you know they they like they don't want to hear about how they were created for example it specifically uh you know like that's a that's a topic that that they don't want to talk but they yeah it is, the burden has shifted from us choosing what is and isn't discussed in the home to uh, the kids choosing what is and isn't discussed mm-hmm. in the home which you know it's good it makes it fun Anyway, right. save me. Go. So Mike, Mike Thank is
1: going to save us. So Mike has a has a good question here. So Mike is a new listener, and uh, and he says he has a question about his iMac. So he says, "I've had it for almost seven years. Uh, in August, and I was wondering if I should even bother trying to update it with a new OS, such as Mountain Lion or Mavericks." It still has Snow Leopard running, and it runs just fine. It has four gigs of RAM, which is the maximum that it can have. I would really like a new iMac, but I don't have the money right now. Do you even think I could sell it at this point to get anything? Also, when do you think is a good life cycle of getting a new Mac? Every three years, four? And my response was as follows. And I think this, is, this question is open to interpretation, Dave, or opinion. or It's kind of subjective. <laughs> it is. Well, no, it totally is. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm eager. So go. Yeah. All right, so here's my response. So number one, I looked through my data, and from what I can tell, he has what is referred to as a mid-2007 iMac. And I looked this up using uh, Mac Tracker? Mac Tracker. Yeah, yeah, one of my favorite utilities here. And that seemed to be the machine that he has. So the good news is that um, the data that they have, so this is typical of several earlier Macs. I don't know if Apple continues to lie to people. See, it lies. But... um. Apple said that this machine could only handle four gigs of RAM, whereas uh, the Mac Tracker database and uh, I think any memory vendor would say, well, you know what? You can actually get six in there. And actually, this is the exact same thing with my MacBook Pro early 2008 machine. Right. Apple says you can only get four, but I know I can get six because I have six in there. So um, I don't think it's ever a bad idea to have more RAM. So you may want to consider pulling out one of those two chips and throwing in a four. It certainly can't hurt. Um, and then this is where it gets kind of subjective here. So I said, on the one hand, you know, if the machine is doing what you need, I would argue that you don't need to upgrade anything except with one caveat. Now, what he is running right now is that he says he's running Snow Leopard, which is Mac OS 10.6. Now, what's typical for uh, what's pretty much industry practice for, for major operating system vendors is that they typically abandon support for an operating system that is uh, they typically will support the most recent and maybe one or two versions back so you're starting to get to the point where you're not going to see any updates for 10.6 i doubt you're ever going to see updates for 10.6 ever 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 so i would suggest you upgrade to at least lion or 10.7 or yeah. the, the the most recent that you can, I would say upgrading to Lion is probably a a, a good
0: thing. I, well, I get, can I stop there though? I, go go. Don't go to Lion was a disaster. Okay, uh, if, if you have to choose, if Mavericks isn't the right thing for you, and and I I'm increasingly becoming of that belief. By the way. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I would say go to Mountain Lion because it's okay. it's Lion with, you know, some of the bugs fixed. And I think, you know, we, we we talked about this recently, so I won't go into it. But, you know, I think we'll hopefully see the same thing with Mavericks. We'll have, you know, Mountain Mavericks or whatever, you know, whatever the next, <laughs> I don't know, you know, Snow Mavericks, I don't know, whatever it's going to be. Or whatever be. the next surf pitch yeah. is. Yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, that seems to be the thing. OK, yep. no, I'm
1: with you on that. um Because, yep. yeah, Mac Tracker also indicates I believe this machine can run um. Mavericks if you want it to. But yeah, so, so I'm with you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just, go to mountain lion. Yeah. Um, As far as selling the thing, I mean, I did a quick, uh, I find this is a good tool, but I did a quick eBay search and y- you're, you're going to get maybe two to 300 bucks for this machine.
0: You, you, know, you I might mean, get more satisfaction out of, of yeah. findings. No, of finding someone and, and a school is, might be a bad place to, to donate this because they may, might need something far newer. You know, someone that can truly use this machine, you know, that satisfaction might be worth more to you than the 200 bucks you'd get from eBay. However, you know, the support costs that you may incur uh, by getting phone calls from this person may or may not be worth the uh, the benefit of, of feeling good about donating it to them. So that's my feel.
1: Yeah. But, or yeah. donate to a charity, you know, and write it off for, you know, yeah. again, you could certainly. Yeah, that's true. I think it's fair. You could write it off for two to three hundred bucks. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And the IRS won't. Get upset about that. That's right.
0: Two to three thousand. Um, That's right, John. Right. <laughs> Did I misunderstand?
1: I'm not a uh, i am not aii am not offering tax advice here.
0: No, <laughs> no, no. I only play a tax attorney on this show. That's it. It's the only time I do
1: it. Well, you can put whatever you want down as far as what you think it's worth. But uh, right. yeah, again,
0: Just be prepared um, to defend it.
1: Right. OK, as for a good life cycle. So we had a question about that. Uh, you know, again, as long as it does what you need and you aren't and this is my take. So as long as you are doing any heavy lifting and heavy lifting, I'm going to define as anything that exceeds the capabilities of the machine, whether it be you, you see your processor getting pegged or, you know, your hard drive is, is not fast enough. You're not saving or loading data as fast as, as you need to, whatever that criteria may be. Um, you know, again, as long as the machine does what you need and there aren't any applications that you can't run. So that's one reason I've seen to upgrade the, uh, either the hardware uh, or the software is because you know the applications move forward, whether they be development tools or Adobe or stuff like that, and and they just don't run on the older OS or machine uh, comfortably. Then you may want to think about upgrading. And you know, I I relay that when I was in the corporate space uh, on a PC as a as a developer, uh, and also doing some you know image processing and some other which I would consider heavy lifting are. Our guidance was three years. Every three years, it got to the point where the machine, whether it be memory or interfaces or whatever, was holding us back from getting our uh, work done uh, in a timely
0: fashion. I'll buy Um, that. Yeah. I I will. And I think my
1: MacBook Pro is... is, uh, It could be quicker. I mean, you know, I'm I'm getting to the end of it. I I would say in general, though, I think Macs have a... uh, Typically, uh, from what I've seen, Macs... Have a longer useful uh, life cycle uh, than PCs, and some people may shake their fist at me and say, "No, that's certainly not the case." But that's been my experience. I found I have to upgrade a PC every maybe three years, but you know, like I said, I got a early two thousand eight MacBook Pro, and it's uh, it's doing what I need, but it is getting uh, towards the end of life. I think within the next year, you're going to see it go away.
0: I'm going to I'm going to shock you, John, <laughs> and and agree with you on this. Uh, it, it it's, it's ironic because I often sit here and say, no, you've got to upgrade, you know, you have to, you know, it, it, running the latest stuff, blah, blah, blah is better. And it is certainly better, but not always necessary as evidenced by the fact that I am recording this podcast on the very same machine that listener Mike is talking about. This is a 20 inch mid 2007 iMac. Uh, I have, <clears throat> excuse me, I have five gigs of Ram in this machine and that's just because I've what I had around when I bought the 4 gig chips I had another 1 gigger and so I put it in but um but you know it it's fine the one thing about this machine that does uh drive me crazy and probably does hold me back and certainly at times negatively impacts our ability to properly record the show is that it's got it still got a spindle hard drive in it as opposed to an SSD and and what will kill you to know John is I have a 256 gig or a 250 gig SSD sitting downstairs waiting to go into this machine. I just need to, um, well, I guess I need to buy a bracket to, uh, fit that SSD into the, the larger form factor of the, you know, the drive that, that I'll take out. And then I also need to just get up the guts to use those suction cups that I bought years ago and pull the screen off of this thing. Cause I've never, I've never taken it apart, but, um, but i really i know i'll love it once i do that to this machine so i got to just man up and and do that so and i i there if we were to move to doing video this machine would not cut it but in terms of the cpu doing audio it's great it's just the the hard drive is really the only thing slowing me down well, you know so, i did notice that
1: so on on the macbook um if I was doing a lot of video work, so actually the other day I was um, just trying to download and transcode a file that's on my TiVo using uh, the CTIVo software. Yeah, and it does transcoding, and my processor on my you know dual core, you know this is a two point four two point six gig <laughs> right. dual core. The processor was pegged hundred percent
0: as it all should be. It was doing yeah
1: right. So uh, so yeah. So if if you're doing video work. Right. Yeah. You know, the more, yeah. Then, then the machine may be holding you back unless you don't mind, you know, waiting a few hours. Right.
0: Well, I've got that, (laughs) that four core, you know, the four comes, turns to eight core machine downstairs, um, in the office. And that's the fastest machine I have here. That it's the 2011 iMac. Um, and it's the three point, whatever gigahertz I seven in that. And, uh, you know, I've been messing around. I mean, that's the machine I use handbrake on all the time to do all the video transcoding and and all that. And then after we, after I got that, that Blu-ray reader, John, I've been doing some, I've been messing around with, you know, ripping, uh, Blu-rays with make MKV and then using handbrake to convert them. And with a regular DVD, I could convert a movie in like 30 minutes, you know, with that machine. And and as you said, the CPUs are just pegged. It's great to see it say, you know, 770% of the CPU is being used by handbrake, which is awesome. But, um, for ripping Blu-rays, it takes forever. It it's like you know, I I barely get it to happen in real time. You know, a, a two-hour movie might take anywhere between two and a half and four hours to do the rip on. So it's um, so it's, clearly it's time for a much faster. Now I need a Mac Pro. That's it. I can justify a Mac Pro, John. Awesome. Uh, I don't think I can. <laughs> All right. So um, that was that was one. But I, but I, you know, I, I agree with you. It, it, find out what your machine does as evidenced by, by what John and I do here. Um, I try I, for the purposes of this show. I, I will still argue that having newer hardware around, uh, to use is important. Uh, it certainly helps us with, with that, but, but, um, but in terms of just getting your work done, find what you need. And, and again, this 2007 iMac is perfectly capable, um, and it's, I, I can't believe it's, you know, almost seven years old. That's crazy. I still think of this as a new machine. It's not, not even close, but um, anyway, so that's, that's one piece of the uh, buying advice section of the show. Here's, here's the second.
2: Hi, Mac Geek Gab Casey Broughton from Kelowna, BC here, and I wanted some advice about a few questions I had regarding upgrading my Mac. My current Mac is a mid-2010 white MacBook 7,1 that is three and a half years old with 150 gigabytes hard drive and 4 gigabytes of RAM. It recently had the piece of plastic around the Ethernet port and a power socket crack and fall off, leaving me with a laptop Mac that I can't move around much due to fear of it falling apart. I am planning on buying the top of the line 13-inch MacBook pro with retina display in a couple months, but we'll probably have to choose two upgrades: bigger SSD, 512 gigabytes to one terabyte, more memory, 8 to 16 gigabytes, or a better processor, 2.6 to 2.8 gigahertz. My first question is whether or not to purchase in April-May, as I don't know much about the MacBook Retina release cycle. My second question is which of these upgrades might suit my situation best. I am a student on a fixed income, hence the waiting to purchase, and will probably need this Mac to run well for the next 4-6 to years. My third question is which method might be best to transfer my data to the new laptop, once I have it. I have my data backed up via time machine to an external USB 3.0 drive, but I am also considering using Migration Assistant directly via an Ethernet adapter. Does either way have any particular pros or cons? Thanks for the help. All right, Casey. Three uh, three good questions.
0: So uh, as far as when to buy, the best crystal ball that I know of is the Mac Rumors Buyer's Guides, uh, and they have sections on each uh Mac and and iOS device out there. It's handy stuff. Uh, it's at buyersguide.macrumors.com. Uh we'll put a link in the show notes to the one um, about the MacBook Pro, or you can scroll down and find it. Uh, it uh it they they sort of consolidate all the rumors and the history and patterns and all of that into one spot. Right now, the MacBook Pro, the retina MacBook Pro, sorry, shows yellow, which means no, no one really knows. You know, my feeling is that unless you think or the consensus thinks that an upgrade is days or weeks away, i.e. less than a month, uh, just buy what you want and don't look back. Um, otherwise, you'll always be waiting. That's you know, that's just how this works. You can one thing is for sure uh, there will be a new retina MacBook Pro at some point. Um, but when that comes, you know, it, you you. you if, if you want one, you should buy one as opposed to waiting until the next and the next and the next, you know, uh, because even when the new one comes out, the guarantee is it will be upgraded and updated at some point. So um, if I were in your shoes, it's hard to say. I probably would wait a month, um, but that's it, you know, and then go because who knows what's going to happen. March might be full of you know, some Apple TV ish kind of thing, whatever that's going to be. So who knows what Apple's going to do? The the history is not necessarily a good predictor of these sorts of things. As for which, uh, between your two upgrades you want to, um, or which two of, of the three, I guess you're going with, um, given your situation, I would say go with more memory and a better processor. Um, those things will cause your that particular machine to last longer. Uh, I love the SSD. I'm I'm crazy about it. I'm gaga about it. Uh, but if you need to replace that down the road to get a larger one, uh, the prices on those are bound to get cheaper in two years. So upgrading that, uh, if necessary, and it, it, it's an easy upgrade to do, especially on on that machine. Um, you know, a, a better processor. It's not going to happen. And out of the gate, having more memory, I think uh, in this particular case is the right move. Uh, again, you can you know you can always add more storage with a with a faster SSD uh, or sorry a larger SSD. So I would I would stick with the the the, the you know the standard SSD and and um, and just pile more memory in and and go with the faster processor. That's my feeling on that. Um.
1: i'm actually with you on that i I would say that the least effective or you get the least bang for your buck spending money on getting a couple extra gigahertz in the processor that's just my opinion you get far more benefit either now that now this class of machine you can replace the ssd right Mm -hmm. i I believe the air whatever you choose for the ssd you're stuck with right 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 because that's it's like baked into the or I, i suppose in theory you could replace it but it's uh (laughs) <laughs> not meant to be uh replaced, right? E- yeah, and, and not easily done either. Um Right, but the Pro still takes a two and a half inch uh drive there. So, I, so I'm bo- with you. And five twelve, I think, is a good place to start. Um you know, my reflection is you know, some of some of the earlier oh, f- SSD offerings were a little bit too tiny. Five five twelve is um I I could work with that. I actually have 750 on my, my pro right now. And uh, yeah, I'm with you.
0: Yeah. Um, Say, well, see the difference is you, you, I want to, I want to clarify something. I just looked this up to make sure. Uh, Yes. You're going with the processor. It's not that the 200 bucks upgrade is just getting you from a 2.6 to a 2.8. You're going from the I five to the I seven. And uh, ah, and so okay. I, I really recommend going with the i7. Well, one of the biggest mm-hmm. benefits for a mobile user is that the i7 includes that hardware um, encryption uh, uh, ability. So if you if you want to, and I encourage you to use file vault, that happens automatically. You get that for free. Um, you know, well, for, for, for 200 bucks. But so that, that's why I think the i7 is a better thing. It, it, it will add to its resale value and it will keep you going longer. And oh, okay. So yeah.
1: In that case, I'm with you. If, we, if they were both i5s, then I would say no, a couple of gigahertz doesn't matter. But yeah, since you're talking a, yeah. You know, different class of processor. Yeah. With more capability. And it, and it yeah. is
0: PCIe based flash storage in there, but I, I correct me if I'm wrong folks, but I'm pretty sure that's upgradable in the MacBook pro. Um, I, I thought so. I'm, I'm 99% certain on that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if there is a, um, there is a thing, the, the, um, the OWC Aura Pro and Envoy Pro um uh, allow you to do those upgrades so we will put that in the show notes too OWC's got all the stuff they they also have the um you know when we talked about the the bracket they're the ones that have that bracket that'll let me put the SSD in this machine so um that's the that's that's how we rock it uh let's see but yeah, 512 gigs on an SSD is totally fine unless unless you feel like you need to keep your whole, you know, movie library with you all the time. I, you may never even need to upgrade that. I've got, you know, my air has a 256 gig SSD in it. And I I mean, I, I don't even I couldn't even tell you how full the drive is because it's not something I worry about. So. But you and I manage space differently, John.
1: Well, even that would work for me, like, you know, we've discussed, but I have my entire uh, aperture library on my my drive, but that's, you know, maybe 100 gigs. Yeah. So that would that would still give me some uh breathing room yeah. for for uh for other things here. You know, as far as the MacBook Pro, I would say the only time that I was hesitant about the MacBook Pro is that they had this, you know, dar- these dark days as I saw them where they didn't really have any decent high-speed bus on the MacBook Pro. Yep. In the, you know, I like having the, uh, you know, I still have, the mine was one of the last machines to have the Express card, which was nice because you could add high-speed peripherals. But then they removed that, they replaced it with an SD slot, which was like kind of a waste <laughs> to me. And then for a while, you were, I think USB was the fastest you could go until they finally got with it. And now you have, uh, I think, both Thunderbolt and USB 3, both of which are just fine for, you know, high-speed communications. Uh, but yeah, for, for that period where they really didn't have that, I wouldn't have gotten... Uh, a macbook pro interesting interesting
0: huh well it's good you know it's good i think now
1: i i don't i don't see any major i mean right now i think the you know the high speed i I, I, well who knows apple could surprise us but i'm not sure Sure. what if any major things other than maybe touch id we're going to see on the on the macbooks coming out uh, yeah that's on the road
0: yeah 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 all right um Last question, how to update. Um, I think either way you're using Migration Assistant. It's just the question is whether you're doing it from your time machine drive or uh, via Ethernet over from your, um, you know, directly from your your old Mac. And I think you're going to get a faster experience doing Ethernet from your old Mac. Um, The the time machine backups, the way that they are built things get kind of convoluted there. And so it's just a slower process reading from those. Um, but either way, you're going to get your data back. I just, I think you'll have a faster time just doing it over ethernet, especially with gigabit ethernet. Um, Cause then you're only limited by the speed of the drive in your, in your MacBook and your old MacBook. So, uh, so I, th- I, th- I think that's the way to go, but, but either one's going to be fine and, it, and, and neither is going to take 10 minutes. It's, you know, it's going to be an hour ish, maybe more. So oh, that that's my feeling. I don't, I don't know if you have a preference there, John.
1: Uh, the most recent upgrade where, yeah, I, I brought the parents over from the uh, MacBook to the iMac. Yep. Yeah, I, I I love it. I mean, the you know, just plug in the cable into both Ethernet ports. You don't even have to worry about, you know, crossover cable. I mean, those days are, are past. You just plug the cable into both. You run migration assistant on both machines. You verify that a number comes up on the screen to make sure, you know, yeah, <laughs> well, that you're not plugging into some other machine. Uh, I don't know why they even do that, but they just say, "Yeah, ver- verify that this number is on the other displayed on the other machine," and then you hit go. And
0: yeah, in this case, there wasn't a lot of data, so it took like less than an hour. So That's course, great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, John, I want to talk about our second sponsor, which is a new sponsor for us here at uh, at Mac Geek Ab, and that is Linda L Y N D A dot com. And if you visit slash mgg you actually get a special deal what linda does and has been doing for a very long time is training videos online training videos and these things are super well produced you can go without without even signing up for an account let alone paying them anything you can see the uh the the teasers and trailers for these uh for these training videos there's they'd say they've got over 2000 videos there and the the courses Run the gamut from, you know, stuff specifically about the Apple and Mac. Like uh, there's a great Mavericks course uh, that Chris Breen did. And it's really well done. He did a great job on this. And, uh, you know, it talks through things like I had forgotten. I had honestly forgotten that the finder in uh, in Mavericks allows for tabs. I I just don't. I never used it before because it wasn't there. And so I just never thought about it. And then I watched this training video and I was like, oh, yeah, that's right and it's some great stuff and and but things like uh you know i i have uh, logic pro x and uh but i've never really used it and they have a great training video for it and i started going through that uh yesterday and and now i'm totally like stoked to to finish this video and they are so well done really well produced uh and and uh and the videos aren't just a, a you know you looking at a talking head sometimes that happens but what you get is screenshots and not just screenshots, but but walkthroughs, you know, full uh, immersive kind of things where they're showing you exactly what to do. And the cool part is uh, certainly you could run this in one window on your Mac and then and then experiment with that software in another window. But you can also run these videos on your iPad or, or your iPhone or even another Mac. And so now you've got the ability to, to you know, to look at uh, the video on one screen and experiment on the other while you're going through these courses uh you uh, the courses are all uh, broken up into chapters so you can set it to autoplay from one chapter to the next so that you get just the full course and the courses run you know an hour and some, t- you know an hour to two hours and sometimes more uh but uh but i was setting it when i was going through the logic thing i could pause after each chapter so i had some time to sort of absorb and experiment and then i press play again and through it goes. So it really helps, but it helps you learn stuff. They've got business courses in there. It's just all kinds of stuff. And um, it's, it's totally worth checking out. We're going to be talking about a lot more of this. John and I both uh, have, have accounts that we're going to, that we're going to play with and, and learn some more of the uh, sources. Well, I've
1: already played Dave and (sighs) actually, so I, I search for aperture. Yeah, sure enough. They have not only, major versions but this the this uh, the, and i recognize the name of the person that's actually uh, doing some of the aperture stuff uh, derek story is someone oh. that i've run into um, he's, the, he's the man yeah. yeah, but they not only, you know, have one, for example, the thing I like, too, is not only do they have, you know, training for Aperture 3, but then when they add new features, so they don't just sit on their hands and say, OK, well, they're, you know, Aperture 3. But, of course, Aperture has had some, you know, somewhat major updates. Sure. And there's some for Aperture 3.3 and 3.4 to keep you up to date. So so I like that, you know, they're, uh, you know, updating, uh, you know, when they need to, to keep
0: you. Current. Yeah, yeah, these, right. I didn't find any courses. I mean, I spot checked, you know, a handful of them. Um, since I you know, found out about this, that we were doing this today and none of the stuff that I found was old. It's all current. So they say they have over 2000 videos. My guess is they've done way more than that and just expired out uh, the old ones and only keep the relevant things in there. But, you know, it's all over the place. I mean, they have they have videos about how to do podcasting. They have uh, videos about, you know, how to learn web development or you know, SQL or whatever you want to learn. It's, it, you know, if you want to learn how to develop mobile apps, maybe, maybe I'll use this and, and finally hone my skills and, and, uh, and put out an app because I've had, have some ideas, you know, John and I, I have all my free time. So it's cool. It's 25 bucks a month. And you, with that, you get unlimited access to the entire course library. You can stream the videos to your Mac, to your iPhone, to your iPad. Uh, if you want to, save them for offline viewing on your iPhone or iPad. Uh, You can upgrade your membership and and actually do that. But the streaming is just part of that 25 bucks a month. And you get no limit to the number of videos. If you are willing to watch videos 24 hours a day, they will stream them to you 24 hours a day. So you can really, really absorb some stuff. But you get seven days for free, not just seven days of looking at the trailers, but seven days of actual videos for free. And again, you could do that 24 by seven. And, uh, and you get that by going to lynda.com slash M G G that's l y n d a dot com slash M G G. So check that out. We're going to be talking about more of it. If you are a Lynda user, tell us and, uh, and we'll incorporate some of that into, you know, some future discussions that we have about this. So, uh, it's fun stuff. I I love it when, uh, you know, I love it And, and we're lucky because all the sponsors that we have. Uh, fit this, but I love it when we are able to bring on a new sponsor that totally fits with what we do here. So I'm uh, really excited about this. Check it out and let us know what you think. All right, let's go to, uh, let's go to bill. Uh, I know this show's running a little long, but, uh, but we've got good stuff to talk about. Bill says, I have a question about one password for, I'm going to purchase it, but I do not understand the password generator. If I use its password generator, for example, a 50 character password, then how do I enter that password on a computer or device like an Apple TV to log into, say, my Amazon or YouTube account Um, that does not have one password installed on it? I hope this makes sense. Yeah. So on those devices, you know, when you're on your Apple TV, you have to manually type the password in. That's a really tough thing when you're navigating with the little remote and and you know trying to work through the on-screen keyboard. However, Apple has their remote app that lets you use your iPhone or iPad as the Apple TV remote. And what's cool is when you go to a keyboard screen, the keyboard on your iOS device pops up and you can type in and sometimes not always, but sometimes you can even paste in there. So you could certainly pull the password to the clipboard out of, uh, you know, one, the one password app or the last past app, if you use that and uh, and and paste it in. That doesn't always work, but at least you can use a keyboard to do it as opposed to, you know, trying to do the navigation of that, you know, 50 characters on the uh on the screen. In fact, I, I am guilty of um, I am guilty of of making passwords for my um, how do I explain this without giving away what my password is? But for for like our, our video game stuff that we have to do on the TV and you have to enter it with the, you know, the controller on the on the video game system. I have made passwords that are seemingly um Random and fit all of their criteria, but are super easy to enter when you have to do it with a you know handheld remote kind of thing. So, uh, so this is better to do it with the with the app on your iPhone. So that's that's my feeling on that, John.
1: I got a different feeling. Go. Well, I think an even better thing would be how about using the real keyboard? Oh, dude. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah, that's right.
1: Well, I'll refer you to an Apple support article titled Apple TV using the Apple wireless keyboard. I don't think this was and actually from what I can see here, it was not an option with the early Apple TV units, but it sounds like here. Yeah, they say Apple TV second generation, Apple TV software 5.2 and Apple wireless keyboard. I would imagine that any wireless keyboard or maybe not. Maybe it's just an Apple one that works here, but uh, that seems to be a option if you have the most recent. Uh, a fairly recent unit and fairly recent Apple TV
0: software. So that's brilliant. (laughs) I never thought about, you know, it's stupid. I have a, a, an extra wireless keyboard that literally sits and does nothing. Uh, I could easily put it with my, uh, with my Apple TV, but I really don't. I think with the iPad, I don't, I don't need it because we don't need the keyboard all that often. But, um, and it did. It would be one more thing in the living room, just, you know, collecting dust, I guess. But no, no, that's brilliant. That, that That's awesome. But, you know, there is talk of it, apps have to come to the Apple TV at some point. It just makes sense. I mean, we already have apps on the Apple TV. It's just, you know, extremely curated in for that in that you only get the handful that Apple has put out there. But it's got to come. I think so. Maybe this year. I'm hoping. All right, John, let's um, let's let's talk about this because this problem comes up for enough enough people. We'll we'll, we'll go through this quickly. John writes, not you, uh, but, you know, listener John writes, uh, I've heard you discuss the trick of the stuck digital outlight on the headphone jack of Apple machines. He says, I encountered this with an iMac where that's the exact problem. And when I saw the red light peering out of the sound outport. I thought I had the solution. However, even though the toothpick got the light to turn off and has stayed off since, I still only see digital out as my only selection in the sound system preferences. And of course there's no actual sound emanating from the iMac. Yeah, so uh, to encapsulate the problem, what happens is you've got the headphone jack on on your Mac and on a lot of Macs that headphone jack is either analog out for just a normal headphone or you can plug a uh a digital out to toss link adapter into that, and then the jack senses that 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 happens and turns on the light pipe the digital output uh but at that point the computer a thinks that something is in that jack all well it can i mean usually when you take it out, it should realize that you take it out, but that little switch in there is uh is is prone to becoming faulty and when that switch gets faulty it a thinks that you're on digital out all the time which means plugging normal headphones in does not work and also it completely turns off your Mac's internal speakers because it thinks you have something plugged into the uh the speaker jack so uh, this can be a problem and we have one of the old macbook pros that we have at the house uh suffers from this so uh so john asks he says things i've tried i've tried fiddling with the audio midi setup settings it won't work he says i've tried deleting the com.apple.audio.device settings.plist file and several other plist files i've zapped the pram i've restarted nothing he says uh googling a bit it seems that some have resorted to a motherboard replacement to fix this issue he says for this 2010 machine that's not an option so, so I'm wondering, are there inexpensive digital speakers that plug into a headphone jack? The idea being that they would take advantage of the stuck state. Uh, number two, would Bluetooth speakers be an option or would the sound output settings stop that from happening? Or could audio hijack pro somehow save the day uh, with old, old machines, audio hijack pro could be used to save the day, but that is not the case anymore. This is a hardware switch that impacts the machine on a hardware level. So there's no way to get software to bypass it. Um, Inexpensive digital speakers that plug into the headphone jack would still need amplification. So this doesn't quite work the way we might want it to. Uh, The way I've solved it uh, is I had an old uh, Bluetooth speaker, USB speaker that was on kind of a gooseneck adapter. I don't know where I got it from. It was probably in some goodie bag from a trade show or something. Uh, And that works on this particular machine. It's not great because it means there's speakers hanging off of it, but Anything you add, and 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 to your question, John, Bluetooth would fit this. Uh, anything you add to your Mac shows up as a separate audio out device. So this USB thing, a uh, you know Bluetooth speaker that you pair with it, or if you get something like you know the the iMic, which I think is like thirty bucks or or, or something that's a USB audio interface that will give you a normal headphone out. So yes, any of these types of things will work. You just choose them as your output device and they will add to that list as opposed to your digital sound out, which you're now stuck with. And really that's the only way around this. Uh, Bluetooth might be a really good option for you though, because it's a laptop and that way you're not plugging and unplugging things. You just kind of got to make sure to bring your Bluetooth speaker with you. Um, But that's, that's what I know about it. Thoughts, John?
1: Uh, I I defer to you with, with audio issues. All right. Well, there you go. So yeah, it sounds like the yeah. It's even though he unstuck
0: something, it yeah. That's really too bad. I was hoping you could replace the jack, but yeah. Well, you could, I guess, if you get really good with surface mount soldering and all that, but Eesh. not for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, um, Simon. Had a, uh, Simon had one, a follow up from last show. Simon says, uh, uh, what was the, uh, says about managing memory in Mavericks. He says, whenever I get a new Mac Mini, he says, I always, uh, I have two and I replace them every few years. I always go through the same approach. I change the hard drive for something else, like an SSD. Uh, but more relevant to your question, I also go to crucial, uh, and run the memory config checker. And it'll tell me what my upgrade options are. And then I buy the maximum and load all that RAM onto the machine. He says, for example, right now I'm running uh, 16 gigs of memory in my current machine with Mavericks. He says, I I throw around video recording and recodexing. Um, I have a massive aperture library. He says, I run all that stuff with no problem. He says, my opinion of memory cleaning apps It really does seem an unnecessary app. If memory isn't being released properly by a program because of a problem, then I would just revert to a Windows approach, i.e. reboot. Call me suspicious, but the idea of installing an app to do this really seems like an over-engineered solution which introduces the possible other things being introduced unknowingly. It's my way of not getting caught. In summary, how do I manage memory with Mavericks? Say that 10 times fast. Load in as much RAM as I can and forget about it. So far it's worked for me. So uh, we talked briefly about memory cleaner in the last show. And since that show, John, not only have I been running it on the podcast machine, but I've been running it on my main Mac in the office, which is running Mavericks. I've got mountain lion up here and Mavericks uh, down in the office. And it has worked flawlessly for me. And so much so that I, I, it, I am not, I have not for the entire week, I did not get a single one of those spinny beach ball mavericks uh you know m- memory issue kind of things and it's so it's it's an interesting discussion right i mean mavericks introduces a a a, a wrench into this works with the whole compressed memory thing uh, that i think we'll see will apple will iterate on and it will get better but um you know unix is built To let loaded libraries stay in RAM indefinitely until uh, something else needs that RAM. So if you launch 15 programs, they're going to load all their libraries. When you quit those programs, those libraries get flagged as um, inactive, but they stay in RAM. And that's how Unix is built, you know, but the Unix was built, John, uh, as a as a server OS, right? And on a server machine, the machine's going to be up for, you know, months, if not years. And this is true of the servers that we run, say, TMO off of. Uh, You know, I think one of those machines has been up 750 days or something. I just noticed the other day. Uh, But it does its job, right? And it runs like three apps. And that's it. And we never, sometimes we quit those apps, but then we just relaunch the same app. Uh, So the whole concept of, Letting RAM fill up with whatever it might need makes perfect sense because it's very, very easy to predict what you might need. If you loaded it once, you probably will need it again and nothing else will need that space. You know, we put enough RAM into these machines that they can run Apache and and MySQL or, you know, whatever it is they run. And then we, we kind of have things managed across different machines. But. You know, they're they're purpose built machines and purpose run machines. So it's great when we see the RAM used all but, you know, 100 megs of it because we know that we're not running into swap, but at the same time, we're also, you know, taking advantage of caching and, and all of that stuff. But on a desktop machine, that model to me and, and in practice doesn't apply because we're not just running one app all the time. We're constantly loading and unloading apps. We're, we're, you know, we're messing with things constantly. And so that concept of memory management of just load everything and keep it in there is fine. As long as the system truly purges what's inactive before it starts doing other memory management stuff. And with Mavericks, especially that's clearly not happening. Like I think it should, what happens with Mavericks is, You run an app, you quit an app, some of its libraries stay in, you know, inactive, shared memory or whatever. And then the system starts compressing stuff to make more free space when you need to launch another app. And that's when we're getting these weird, you know, pauses and all that stuff. So what Memory Keeper does is it goes and asks for lots and lots of RAM and makes sure, and then frees it up immediately and makes sure that. You have actual free RAM available. And while that shouldn't be necessary, it has made my life way better over the last week, knowing that there's free RAM, uh, not just, not just knowing. I mean, it's not just an emotional need, It but it, but having the system have actual free RAM available all the time has made my Mac run faster. And I've seen absolutely no, um, no negative issues with it. Now you said you did see a negative issue with it on Mavericks, but I'm wondering if that was before the, the 1.1 update that they pushed that, uh, in the last couple of weeks that, uh, that made it that they said made, you know, fix some problem with Mavericks.
1: Oh, let me see. Now I'm running 1.1. Okay. I don't recall doing an update. I think when I downloaded it, it was 1.1. It was. Yeah. Okay. What I did notice though, is when I initially installed it. So yeah, I have six gigs and, uh, for a while, it was it shows red, I think, if you have less than uh, 10 percent yeah, free right now, it's showing about a gigabyte free. And I, I did put it into the aggressive mode so you can go to the preferences on it and say do full cleanup or quick cleanup and maybe switching over to the full cleanup helped. But yeah, I'm consistently showing about a gigabyte free right now, whereas before it, it, yeah, I was showing very
0: little. Huh? I'm running so, in quick mode. On on mine for the automatic cleanup, although I occasionally will do um, a, a a forced clean memory thing, which does that full kind of cleanup uh, deal. So. I don't know, for a free app, man, I I love this thing. I'm quite stoked about it. It shouldn't, but I agree it shouldn't be necessary. The, the OS should be doing this on its own. I. I'm not sure why it doesn't. Maybe it's I don't know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. So I like it. And I, on the podcast machine, we haven't had a single hiccup all day long. And I have not rebooted this machine in over a week. Whereas previously, if I didn't reboot right before we did the show, it would be a train wreck. Um, so I, I, I did gamble a little bit today, but I, I felt good about it. I knew what I was doing. And what machine are you running it on, John?
1: Uh, I'm running it on my MacBook Pro on Mavericks. I have not put it on my, uh, well, because I don't really need to, because my uh, Mini uh, consistently, uh, like right now, it's showing uh, almost three gigs free. I have eight gigs in this machine, um, so I haven't really, really seen a need.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. You may, if, if you are in a situation where you just have way more RAM than you'll use, then obviously this kind of thing you you won't run into this problem. That's right. But like on my machine downstairs, I've got 12 gigs and that, but I'm always running up against a wall. I, you know, I just run stuff that that eats up Ram. So, um, this has made a big difference. uh, I like it. It's good. And, uh, it's nice to see, well, you know, I know people hate the, uh, the, the Mac Keeper folks, which is the same company it's, um, or the same team. I don't know if it's the same company or not, but um, I think it is. I think they changed structure, but uh, they have an interesting story. There, There, there is. Um, uh, I'll tell a story in another show, maybe. I don't know. And, well, I'll tell it. I'll try and tell it quickly here. I understand why they do uh, we all hate them for their advertising, or we all hate their advertising some A lot of people hate the company because of the advertising um, but you know they their their banner ads and their pop ups and all that stuff uh just show up everywhere and it it makes things feel kind of sleazy for for Mackeeper uh, I have run Mackeeper on several Macs, and I have a lot of uh friends and family running it and it 's been flawless for them uh and for me but uh, But I get it that people don 't like their advertising they were what's the what's the best way to tell this story quickly John? I don't think I've told you this either um i think you have okay well they they when they started their company uh they were doing consulting services and uh and then they decided to build this app that became mackeeper during the development of that app one of their programmers uh quit they had a he had a falling out with the boss or whatever quit and started his own company uh that makes a another popular you know utility for cleaning your mac and uh that piece of software actually made it to market before um mac keeper did and and it was fine but mac, when mac keeper came out really started blowing away uh this this other piece of software and then one day in the course of like 24 hours there were like 400 forum posts Posted out there talking about how MacKeeper was terrible and ruining people's computers. Clearly, an organized attack, and uh, and this killed their Google rankings. You know, it, it, Google washed anything good about them and just turned it into this, you know, this thing. And these kind of attacks happen. They, you know, you can actually pay. There's like, you know, Chinese companies or whatever that you can pay to do these sort of attacks for you. And so at that point, the MacKeeper folks were like crap. And they saw their sales just, you know, totally drop, and uh, and they thought, well. You know, it was kind of that that uh, that cornered beast approach, right, where they thought, well. If we you know, if we've got to combat this and we're already have a bad name because of this, you know, this attack here, we might as well. Now, I don't necessarily agree with with this approach, uh, but this is what they did. They decided, well, we can do sleazy ads and pop ups and just go get it. And uh, and so that's what started them down that path of. uh of that was it was it was sort of the the you know last resort and it's worked out really well for them they'd sell a lot of copies of it now they they, you know a lot of their advertising is sleazy they've done some ads with with us and we don't let them do anything sleazy with with us on the websites or anything but um but i you know i kind of i i understand how they got to where they were in terms of that doesn't doesn't excuse the the sleazy ads, but, but it explains how they made that decision. Again, it's not a decision I wouldn't make, but, uh, but they're good folks over there. So, um, so I'm happy to see memory keeper coming out from them and, uh, being marketed differently and a free app that actually provides a good service. So, so there you go. That's my feeling behind that. And I'll leave the other company's name out of it. It's not important. They make a fine app. So. It's interesting, though, isn't it, John? Fascinating, Captain. Fa- <laughs> um, all right. Where else are we here? We got good stuff to go through. I don't know. Um, I did a a MacCast this week, John, where uh, Adam and I talked about all kinds of NAS storage devices and all that stuff. Uh, so we will put a link to that in the show notes because uh it was a a a very in-depth probably for an hour adam and i talked about different nas options and and different storage options and all that so if you if you are at all interested it's sort of a follow-on to our synology uh, our uh, yeah our whole synology discussion it it really dug deep into that so um so people but but i got a lot of email after that with people asking me okay i want to get started I like the idea of what Synology does. What do I do? Um, which NAS is the right one to get to, to get going? And one of my favorite offerings from Synology these days is the DS214 SE. It it's 160 bucks. It's a two bay NAS, and uh it has I'll say all of the features, although there's there's one big caveat that I need to point out. But it has all the features that you would get in an eight bay NAS, uh, but obviously only two bays for your drives. But you get the all the, you know, the, the syncing, the cloud station, you get the whole disk station manager on there. Have you, are you running the beta of version five yet of disk station manager, John? It's uh.
1: It's I've always been uneasy about running betas on, on a... Production. Sto- <laughs> yeah. I don't blame you. Well, like I, I got my time machine backups on this thing, so uh, I... Uh, mm. And I've, you know, worked on enough software that's beta where... I, I it, just, it makes me nervous. I... I, I don't blame don't, you. I don't... Yep. Li- even sometimes .0 stuff, I, I'm kind of nervous about installing. Because yep. no, <laughs> to me, I- beta... Beta should mean the problem is now beta has the, the, the meaning of it has been kind of diluted. Yes. Because to me, beta means the potential to destroy everything. Right. And a lot of people will get a beta and then they complain when it doesn't work. And it's like, well, you, you got to understand what a beta, beta doesn't mean. You know, maybe it's, you know, not shiny or something. Beta means again, it's, it's not thoroughly tested and it could destroy everything.
0: No, that's right. I'm, I'm not running it on my production, uh uh, uh, disk station either but i i have a d14 c that they sent me and if that's oh, what's well, what, cool then. yeah then it's right that's a perfect place to run it it's cool they, they're doing a lot they've they've sort of re uh i mean it's the same general gist but but cloud station and the whole quick connect thing sort of take a front seat to this so it really becomes e- super easy to set up personal cloud and then and on the SE you can run ds audio um to a degree you can run DS video, but this is where it, the the one thing slows down. The processor in it is n- not all that fast. You're paying 160 bucks for this thing. So you're not buying a fast processor in it. And, uh, and so it can't do things like Plex. Uh, so if that's important to you uh, and at some point with a, with if, with a NAS drive, if you keep moving down that path, that will become important to you. So um but for also for 160 bucks, it's not a bad place to start. And Synology uh, makes it super easy to upgrade to a larger unit and take your drives out of your first unit and put them in the second one and then add more to that. So um, so for 160 bucks, this might not be a bad place to start for a lot of people, if unless you know out of the gate that you want to use Plex and then. Then you start getting into, you know, maybe the DS 214 play because people have made that work with uh, with Plex. Um, But, you know, still now you're in the, you know, four hundred dollar range. But but the 214 SE is is one that that is a great, uh, you know, I'll call it the gateway drug because it's relatively cheap. And it gets you most of it. It gets you all the things that people start using a NAS for right Offsite, you know, off, not not off site, but uh, but storage, you know, additional storage, some sort right. of fault tolerance. You know, the, the personal cloud, right. Self configurable and DSM five has the ability to sync your Dropbox and your Google Drive directly to the disk station. So now you've got, you know, that storage all happening there and then you could use their cloud station instead of having to run Dropbox and Google Drive and sync all that stuff to you from that. So it gets pretty cool. It's um it's cool what they're doing. And QNAP is another company to watch, by the way, um, on the NAS thing. The the My one complaint uh, with the QNAP stuff is you can't use drives of different sizes Uh, synology lets you do that drobo that's sort of been their thing from the beginning Uh, qnap uh, started in the enterprise space so their whole sort of paradigm is about using you know if if you have a four bay unit every drive has to be the same size whereas with synology or drobo you can mix and match to a degree and actually get all the storage used uh, in that sense i think we're going to see that change from qnap this year but in terms of But, but but that aside, everything else they're doing at QNAP is awesome too. So there's, there's some cool stuff happening. I think, I think we're going to see a lot of cool changes um, in, uh, in the next year. So uh, Furby is in the chat room is asking which model of uh, which model are you using and uh, pushing? And I think we're talking about uh, Synology. So it's the, the D214SE, which I'll put a link in the show notes. The one I use personally here is the DS fifteen thirteen plus. Um, that's a five bay unit, but the DS four twelve plus is also an excellent model. Um, so there you go. That's it's fun stuff, though. I love playing with this stuff, and it, it's and then- totally usable for us. I mean, it our, our entire um, other than live TV, every bit of video that we watch at home comes from my nas drive now it's cool and my, all my music when i'm on the go i just stream to my my iphone from my nas drive it's awesome so go ahead john sorry
1: well i had, just want to mention so i have um the 713 plus right and the thing i like about this one so one it's a you know i would say kind of a starter unit and that it has two bays
0: yeah uh, but it's but it not a, a. but it's like processor. a it's like a 500 hundred dollar starter unit right so but you're right because it's got that that kick butt processor in it. Yeah, exactly.
1: But this one also has the option, which uh, if I need it, but the thing is, this is one and not all of them do that, but this has the option where you can add a five bay expansion bay. Right. So if you do need, if you realize, oh gosh, two drives is not enough, then you can expand this where some of their other units, what you get is what you get. You can't that's right. expand it beyond uh, the number of bays it comes with. So that's right. That, it's nice that they, they offer that flexibility. Yeah. I think the 712 does not let you do that, but the 713
0: does. So. Yeah, their, their model numbers, you know, again, a lot, a lot of these companies came from Synology and QNAP specifically came from the enterprise space where model numbers, you know, people are used to sort of cryptic model numbers or model numbers that are numbers, model names that are numbers. And then you learn the the formula and then you understand what it is they need to as they're getting into the consumer space, they need to. You know, change that a little bit, I think, and, and, you know, get the I don't know, some some way of communicating that that's easier because I don't even know. I don't understand their formula. I love their stuff, (laughs) but, you know, it's like, oh, which model is that? It makes my brain hurt. It's kind of like the Performa days of of the Mac. You
1: you know, you read my mind when (laughs) I think that was under uh, Emilio, maybe or or Scully. I forget. But, yeah, they had uh, literally at one point like a 100 different models. And, oh. and the n- numeric designation didn't give you, unless maybe it was three or four digits, but it d- really didn't give you an idea of where it fell. And then you know, once Steve came back, of course, he's like, "All right, <laughs> you know, we're gonna do, we're gonna have four product lines. We're gonna yeah. have, you know, dust, uh, you know, consumer this, consumer, th- yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was terrible. They 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 got carried away. So uh, yeah, so yeah, but I'm I'm sure the Synology guys are trying to rethink
0: how to. Like, they are. They're all sort of learnings. Yeah. Yeah. That that's, that's how we do it. All right. Um, I, you know, it seems like it would be crazy to not answer Scott's question because we're right here. Uh, but we're at an hour and a half, so we're just going to answer Scott's question. And then that's, that's it. Scott asks, um, probably best answered by Dave, the media slash family guy says, I currently have all my movies, TV shows, music, uh, in iTunes on my main iMac. I have the iTunes media folder on an external raid. After listening to the media server show, I started thinking about Plex instead of iTunes. Do you know if I can point Plex to the iTunes library and have uh, it see the movies and TV shows that are in there? Or do I need to migrate those things to a new file structure? And if I at some point get some Sonos speakers, can uh, how will that impact my setup? I know that's more of a physical question, but I think it's just as uh, much of a logical question. It says, number two, my family is moving back to the USA in June. We currently do not have smartphones. However, I'm planning getting at least two and perhaps more for the kids. Uh, I've been researching the various AT&T, Verizon, et cetera plans. However, I have no frame of reference for how much data the family may need or want. How much data on average do you use? So we will answer this quickly. Number one, good news. You can take Plex, which is software, and Sonos, which is software baked into hardware, and point either or both of them at your existing iTunes library and they will both just deal with it. So you do not need to copy your iTunes library anywhere. If you don't want to just point Plex at it, Plex will find the the movies, the music, the TV shows. Uh, if you know the folders that those things are in and can sort of hint Plex along, it will help it because Plex will deal with TV shows differently uh, than it deals with movies because of the different metadata sources that it's going to try and pull from but uh, but absolutely you can point it at your existing iTunes library and it just works. Sonos is the same way. In fact, Sonos will inherit your iTunes playlists if you do it that way. And it actually gets really cool. So yeah, you're, you're good to go if you want to do it that way. Of course, if you want to put that stuff elsewhere and point Plex and Sonos from a, uh, you know, to a different source, that's, that's fine too, but you do not have to. So that's the quick answer. And uh, the other quick answer is uh, we have four phones, I have two kids, as I mentioned before, 12 and 14, uh, and then my wife and I. And we have a six gig plan currently. My 14-year-old daughter is our biggest user by far. She uses up somewhere between two and a half and three and a half gigs a month. Uh, Mostly that's Instagram and Snapchat. Uh, Spotify for her was also a big waster because the app is written horribly. And even if you tell it, sync this playlist so that you're not streaming it. If it doesn't have... All of the songs, it will stream them, even though you told it to sync it and you wind up using, you know, uh, data when you you don't even realize it. So uh, th- that's just a Spotify thing. But you can turn off cellular data for Spotify in the iPhone preferences and that solves it. Uh, the rest of us use some variety of Facebook, Instagram, music streaming, as I said, you know, simple web browsing. And that chews up the the remainder of, of what my daughter leaves us with, the crumbs. Uh Most of the time we hit about five gigs a month this past month. My wife and I both traveled to San Francisco or Cupertino to do that Mac 30th thing. And so we were posting a lot more and using our data a lot more. And we got Friday night was when our, our month reset at midnight, we were within about 150 megs of our six gigs um, rolling over to a, you know, a a bonus gig for 15 bucks or whatever. But, uh, but we made it under the wire so so that's that that's all I got John yeah, any thoughts on that before we uh, close out the show
1: I wish I could get a data plan with a low, lower cost I mean I'm looking right now so I use something called data man yeah and right now Dave I'm at 2% wow
0: <laughs> you should you should just use your data more enjoy it
1: yeah, but when I'm out and about, the thing is, we do have something here, and actually I want to fiddle with this more, so we do have something called uh, Optimum Wi-Fi, uh, which is pretty much anywhere I go in, in my town, it's available. They have tons of hotspots, and, uh, and I have my phone on Wi-Fi, and so whenever it sees one of these, it goes over to that versus uh, data, but uh, yeah, when I got the data plan, they didn't offer me anything less than a two gig per month. I wish they'd offer a smaller one, because I, I don't really use it or need it at least now of course when i travel yeah i'll probably hit the limit of you know going to mac world and all that sure
0: sure yeah yeah we use quite a i mean well as i said we use quite a bit of data but it's um i don't know it's good we we're happy to use it i think um...
1: but now who's your who's your uh, so i guess you don't have uh because i know a lot of people are offering this now we, we've seen people actually uh talk about this uh uh comcast and actually comcast is kind of doing something sneaky i think you, you've heard about this yeah
0: we'll talk yeah like we, we, we've gone on too long and we'll and talk I, about that later yeah we'll talk about that in the next show because i that's a discussion i actually want to have i have it queued up in fact i Excellent. think i think we're due for a cool stuff found show john that reminds me so yeah, uh good so yeah so send in your cool stuff we've got a pile of it but but send it in we'll uh we'll do another one so you know where i'd send it dave
1: i fire up my email program, and I would send it to feedback at macgeekab.com.
0: Feedback at macgeekab.com is the address to which you can send all that stuff.
1: Absolutely. If you didn't hear that because Dave's voice is cracking, it's feedback at macgeekab.com.
0: That's right. Or premium at macgeekab.com if you are a premium member. And for those of you that are, we very much appreciate it. You can learn about that at Macgeekgab.com. Just com. try saying that ten times fast. That was funny seeing Leo Laporte when I was on his show. Stumble—I'd forgotten how tricky it was to learn how to say Mac Geek Gab, uh, but of course we do it. We've been doing it for nine years, so I don't even think about it. And he was like, "Mac, how do you say this?" Like, "Oh yeah, it's practice, man. It's good." 206 uh, 666 Geek is the number to call, and Geek is forty three thirty five. It is, isn't it? Uh, you can find us on Twitter. He is John F. Braun. The show is Mac Geek Gab pilot pete's not here i'm dave hamilton uh twitter is fun it's good you can find us on secret too but you'll never know it was us uh that's an that's been an interesting thing to follow the last couple of days um you can find us on facebook facebook.com slash mac geek and on google plus at uh, plus.google.com slash the plus sign mac geek Gab podcast or the chat room we'll say hi to everybody in the chat room mac geek stream thanks for joining us for the show what else do we got here, John? Anything? Did I miss anything? Hey, if you're on iTunes and
1: you have Mackie Gab in front of you, pen a review.
0: Yes, please. Yeah, no, that's great. All right. And uh, rounding out what I think will probably be our longest show ever, because we're at an hour 36 at the moment. Uh, we would like to thank Michael Johnston from We Have Communicators uh, and GetAppler.com. He converts this show to AAC and adds all the chapters for us and for you. So check that out. Cashfly, of course, dot ycom Provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. The podcast marketplace includes BB Edit from Barebone Software, Text Expander and PDF Pen from Smile, Gazelle, as we mentioned, Squarespace.com, where your code is MGG, and of course, now Linda at LYNDA.com slash MGG for your seven day free trial of all their training videos. All through Backlink Media. I have fun there every day, too. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. John, I started the show. Would you do me the honor of of ending it for us?
1: Well, we can't end it without advising people that they really should not get caught.
2: May not.